I'm looking forward to this study, um, the completion of it, I should say the conclusion. And this is um, what I would refer to the culmination of the last three weeks of what we've been talking about in spiritual warfare and the spirit world, the unseen world, and this all culminates into what we're about to discuss for the next two weeks, Lord willing, is, uh, you know, how does the spirit world have to do with apostasy and deception, which is widespread, by the way, in the world we live in, and it's, it's eventually going to culminate in a world that's little to no faith uh, in Christ and His Word. And praise the Lord, we're able to gather and really study this subject, but it's an intense subject. I've actually warned a few people. I was like, you know, this is intense, tense for me, but I'm really not going to um, spend too much time on the subject. We could spend weeks, literally, on the subject, especially on false teaching, false preaching, false uh, teachers. Um, but I'd have to tell you that this is a real subject. It, it, needs, it, it warrants our closest attention. Um, it's very sobering, and I always say buckle up your seatbelts, your spiritual seatbelts. It's going to get bumpy at times. You know, I, I always remember what Paul said when he went to the Galatians, and the Galatians had gotten off track, started believing that works had something to do with their salvation, and works was what was going to keep their salvation. And Paul comes along after his journey, and he, uh, he just he goes to town and writes about why that's all false, and and he ends up in chapter 4 saying, you know, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so sometimes truth offends and truth hurts, but sometimes we need to hear the things that are of God. And this subject is why it's very um, deep in the Word of God, and there's a lot on it. So I'm going to do my best, Lord willing, to help kind of cover the, this material as brief as I can, but to get you enough to have an impact. And so, we'll ask ourselves the question, what, is this, what does the spirit world have to do with deception and apostasy? Well, of course, it has everything to do with, with uh, deception and apostasy. If you read in this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, which I believe we're living in, shall... Some shall depart from the faith. Now that's apostasy. Apostasy is when you move away from the truth, um, simply just move away from the truth. And then it says, giving heed, now there it is, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we'll get into that next week, but the seducing spirits, we'll kind of talk about this in general. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 33, he said, Take heed, watch, and pray. Now that's a, that's a command, but it's also a warning. In fact, for the remaining of those verses in Mark 7, Jesus mentions the word that we're commanded to do four times. He tells us to watch. I'm afraid too many Christians aren't obeying that command. To take heed and watch, be on guard, take a stand, and be in prayer. Because the deception is getting more powerful and stronger than it ever has been. Because the spirit world is working overtime. You'll see this here. You're, you're, I'm going to lay this out for you, hopefully uh, some of it today. And, and I think it's really interesting because a lot of Christians, and I've known some, unfortunately it's a sad state of affair, but I've seen many depart from the faith over the years because they, 
They got complacent in the things of God. They, they spiritually fell asleep. They weren't watching. They weren't praying. They weren't taking heed. And as a result, they got carried away. They either just quit on God. They didn't think God was that important anymore. And the priorities of God weren't important. Or they got seduced by a doctrine that got them out of the will of God. Many have left the church over a doctrinal issue. And then you go back and you find, hey, what happened to so-and-so? What are they doing? And they're out of church completely. So it begin, it's a subtle process. It begins a little here, a little there. And before you know it, it's widespread. And that's why Paul warned us, some will depart from the faith, may it not be any in this room, with seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Spiritual warfare is going to come down to two major battle themes. Two major themes. Number one is this destroying lives, the, the spirit world, evil spirits, destroying lives with sin by keeping them in darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19, He says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone that doeth evil, what's it say? Hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. Now why is that? Why do they remain in darkness? They know their lives are being destroyed. They know they've got problems. And, and they, they even know why, but they won't leave it. Why is that? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Satan will keep them in darkness. That's why in Romans 1, in verse 19, I believe it is, or verse 20, where it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They live in darkness, their lives are being destroyed, and yet they won't come to the light, because they love the darkness. And lives are being destroyed in that battlefield all the time. We we look at people whose lives are literally falling apart and we try to explain to them that there's an answer to the, and the solution to their problem and yet they will not come to the light. That's what Satan loves to work in that theme. I just read here, I did not watch this nor would I want to have any interest in this, but it, uh, it talks about Satan at the Grammys. This is going to give you a little idea of how dark things are getting. Satan at the Grammys. The Grammys has long been a cultural symbol of transgression. We all know that. And we know it's always been edgy, and it's about, you know, uh, shocking cultural display, recognizing the best secular artists in the world today. And recently there was a shocking performance uh, done by Sam Smith and Kim Petras, and they had shifted from shocking and transgressive, which is normal in the Grammys, to lewd and satanic. The people involved in it were, didn't even real, may they realize it or not, that their worship service to deeds of darkness and even Satan himself was on display. And millions, tens of millions of people are watching this. They danced overtly in satanic gear with fire all around them in cages and sadomastic type uh, outfits. And they danced overtly in satanic gear 
and they think they're shedding light on darkness through mockery, but they're accomplishing the opposite. They're opening themselves up to demonic influence in the process. And who are they, who are they ministering to? Those in darkness. The world thinks it's a joke. They don't realize it's, it's on display in reality. This gets real interesting here. This author, author writes, Sam Smith's performance accomplished three things. He declared darkness light. He mocks God's created order. How did he do this? By declaring himself, that is Sam did, as a non-binary, and his co-performer is a transgender. And this was celebrated by the world. And he destroys holiness with a full-on plunge into radical self-autonomy and pleasure. The song he actually performs was literally entitled Unholy. It glorifies infidelity and promiscuity. And CBS tweeted out before it started, we're ready for worship. So you can see what Jesus meant was this is the condemnation. Light has come to the world, but men loved darkness. The world celebrates. They think it's, oh, this is wonderful, it's beautiful, and it's destroying lives. Literally keeping them in darkness. And Satan is winning in the battlefield. It looks like he's winning in the battlefield. God ultimately will win. The second one is more important and where we're going to focus our time, and that is on religion. Remember, the two battlefields. One is to keep people in darkness. The other one is just to give them enough light to satisfy them and their, their idea of God, but keep them from actually coming to God. This is what religion's all about. We, we all know religious people. I, was, I had uh, dinner with a friend about two years ago, and his wife is a, uh, you can call her an evangelist if you want. She was just letting it rip. And I said, I said uh, where do you go to church? And I didn't even know she was going to church. I knew she had had some Bible studies. She's, she's like, well, I'm a Catholic. And I said, you, you're not a Catholic. <laughs> Catholics don't talk like that. She says, I'm offended. I'm a Catholic. I said, I mean, she had all the lingo down. I mean, she, it was like she was preaching to me. And I said, well, you're not Catholic. Not, not talking like that. She says, I was born a Catholic, and I will die a Catholic. I said, so you're trusting in what the Catholic Church teaches about how to get to heaven? She says, absolutely. The sacraments and the works. And I said, man, that's as far from the truth as you can get. But that's religion. Man has enough God to satisfy, but not enough God to save them. It's what we talk about. Judas Iscariot kissed the door of heaven and went straight to hell. Thou betrayest me with a kiss, Judas? You know, you think about Judas. He had witnessed the miracles of Christ. He saw people rise from the dead. He saw the, the blind receive their sight. He saw the cripple walk. He saw Jesus walk on water. You think, how in the world? Did he not see it? Because when it came down to it, Judas had his own ideology of who God was. And the God that he formed, he created this own God in his own image. And when that God did not line up with, or his God didn't line up with the true God, he rejected the true God. And thus went straight to hell, the Bible says. So we see how dangerous religion can be and if you really want to study religious men, go no further than studying the religious Pharisees. These were the, this was God's representatives for him on this earth. 
They knew the Scripture. I mean, they, these, these folks were scholars of the Scripture. And they were powerful men, intellectual men, uh, dedicated to the things of God, and they were self-righteous. And all, most of them missed it. Because when they were confronted with Jesus Christ, who was the truth, for He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. So they stared truth. They saw it physically. And they rejected it. And even to the point that they called Jesus Beelzebub, Beelzebub, which simply means Satan. They called God manifest in the flesh, Satan. That's what religion does when it's confronted with real truth. And that's exactly what religion will do with people. They think they have it, but they don't have it. Because their ideology, their philosophy, and their, their, their God they've created doesn't line up with the true God. And so they reject it. And this is why we have a world of religion that is deceiving people left and right. Those are the two battlefields that the spirit world works in the most. It seems like two extremes. Like here's your drug addict, your alcoholic, your porn addict, you know, your abuser, and then you've got the religious. Both without Christ. Both going to hell. But one just has a little bit, is more palatable, more acceptable. We always think, well, that person, I'll, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I don't do all those things. That's not true. Nobody goes to heaven for doing anything other than receiving Christ as their Savior and what He did for them on the cross. So what is religion? It's defined for us in Mark chapter 7. I'm kind of summarizing here, but Jesus said, these are Jesus' words, this people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me. God knows the heart. He knows what's real. It's giving lip service to God and going through the motions. Listen, look how he defines religion. Howbeit in vain do they worship me. That's that lip service. Teaching for doctrines, here it is, the commandments of men. You're going to see this here play out as I share some insight about what's going on in mainstream Christianity today. I even have a video for you. But the commandments of men. You say laying aside the commandment of God for what? The tradition of men. That's what religion. Religion always accepts a tradition or a teaching of man over the, over the teachings of God. When it, get, when it gets down to it, there's only one authority in our lives. It's either we accept this as it is, face value, or we reject it because we've learned something else from somebody. And that's what it will really come down to, and that's what Jesus is really dealing with about religion. Traditions and commandments of men, and this is what he says. You make the Word of God useless. The Word of God has no impact when you take your traditions and you take the commandments of men and you place them over the authority of the Word of God. And this is happening to Christians because they're either not in the book or they're ignorant of the things of God. And they're not taking time to study it out. So what is the fruit of religion? This is where it gets interesting. The fruit of it, what is the end result? I like to refer to it religion as pseudo-Christianity. It, it smells like it, talks like it, thinks like it, acts like it, but it is far from the true and pure Christianity of the Bible. And so, what are the fruits? Matthew 7, verse 21 through 25. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Those are religious people. And they name, they, they name the name of Christ. 
when he says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Then he says, many. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say the word few. But he says, many. Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What that means is, haven't we preached in your name? Taught in your name? And in thy name, cast out devils? Woo! Where did they get the power to do that? I mean, we have plenty of TV evangelists supposedly that are taking, you know, they're casting out demons. And, and I'm not questioning whether they're doing that or not, but where are they getting the power to do that? If what they say is contrary to Scripture or it doesn't line up, it's certainly not coming from God. Did you know that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when the Antichrist shows up, the world's going to be so prepared for him that the Bible says that he comes with signs and powers and wonders that will deceive the whole world. God's going to give him something the world's been looking for, and, that, and he'll use that to deceive them because they rejected the truth. Read it, 2 Thessalonians. The Antichrist is going to show up with powers and signs and wonders like we've never seen. And here we got people claiming the name of the Lord, doing preaching in the name, casting out devils in his name, and in his name they're doing many wonderful works. They build theme parks. You know, they build, they build big mega churches with campuses and Bible schools. And they do all these wonderful works. And then what does Jesus say to this religious crowd? Profess unto them, I never knew you. Now that's not, I knew you and then I don't know you anymore. I never knew you means you were never belonged to me. They were, you can't go to a child of God, become a child of God, and then lose your salvation. That's not scriptural. So when he says, I never knew you, they got close enough like Judas to kiss the door of heaven and went to hell. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity, which is their own will. People who trust in their works for salvation are going to go straight to hell. There's no way around it. The scriptures tell us over and over. That's what this crowd is. Um, interesting comments. Matt, I think Matthew 23, verse 15. Nice. Jesus is talking to the religious men of his day. And he's giving them a sermon of sermons. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, which is one convert, and when you make him, when you made him, you make him twice the child of hell than yourselves. Jesus' own words. You go all around the world to make converts, and when you make them, you end up making them much worse than yourselves. Because they always build on top of what they were doing. Those are frightening words, but this is what it goes back to. This is what the fruit of religion will do. And so many people we know trusting in their, their church, their religion, their works, and Jesus, they're going to hear these words. They're going to think, hey, I've got this. And then boom! Boom! They close their eyes for the last time, their heart beats for the last time, and before they know it, they're standing for the Creator 
who died for them, and they'll say, he'll say, God, I never knew you. Whew. Pseudo-Christianity. This is the battlefield that the spiritual warfare is playing and really destroying people. I'm going to read to you here. These, this is Paul warning about religious imposters. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the simplicity that is in Christ. Have you ever noticed when people are getting into doctrines that are deeper things of God, have you ever noticed that um, they make you kind of like, well, I don't really understand it, but that sounds good? It's kind of a pseudo-intellectual pseudo approach. And, and what, what happens is we end up falling for another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And Paul says, I'm, I'm coming to you with a warning because there is simplicity in Christ. When it gets, we cannot figure out the mind of God. He is so much greater. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than the heavens. And yet we try to figure God out. And when doing so, we end up with the commandments of men, the doctrines of men, and seducing spirits. We're, we're being misled. And so Paul say, warning, hey, the simplicity that is in Christ, stick with that. And then he says these words, for there cometh preaches another Jesus. So there's another Jesus out there being preached. There's another spirit that's being received. There's the spirit world. And then he says there's another gospel which you have not accepted. You might well bear with him like, you know, it's almost a sarcastic, you'll, you'll put up with it. Which he's saying you shouldn't be putting up with this. And so that tells me the spirit world is working to present another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Paul warned, I got saved off this verse. I got, came under conviction, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6-9. through 9. If any man preach any other gospel than that which I preach unto you, let him be accursed. You know what that means? Separated from God. And I read that verse because I was preaching a false gospel. I didn't know. Out of ignorance, I was preaching a gospel of works because that's what I was taught. And I, I was preaching a gospel, yet you're saved by works. And then God came and showed me the simplicity that is in Christ and that is His work that saved me, not my works. And that verse came through loud and clear that there's another gospel and that those who preach it are accursed. I'll read to you a verse in, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 14, about the church body. And why it's important that we gather and we, we sit under teachers and evangelists and people who preach out of this book. Listen to what he says. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And then he says, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now if that doesn't sound like our modern day TV evangelists, I don't know what does. Many of them. Now, there's some good ones out there, I'm sure, but I don't pay attention to them. I don't have time for that. But reality is they're out there. There's some good ones. And there's certainly some good Internet preachers. But in, in the masses, a lot of them lie in wait to deceive. One of the greatest pyramid schemes going on in the world today is not Bernie Madoff and that kind of group. It's these TV evangelists that are getting wealthy at the top while the rest at the bottom keep giving their tithe. And they, they fly around in corporate jets and they live in palatial, uh, they palatial estates and they have Rolls Royces and they, and they all in the name of health, wealth, and prosperity. 
This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Paul's talking about. And, and that's why we're to take heed and be prepared. That we don't get sucked into that. That's uh, the verse I just read, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Oh, to God that He would give us discernment to see these things for what they are. Because many a good Christian has fallen by the wayside as a result of these things right here. So there's a pseudo-Christianity out there that looks like, acts like, and sounds like the real thing, but it's far from true and pure Christianity. This is a really interesting verse. This is in the same context where Paul wrote about another spirit and another gospel and another Jesus. He says, for no marvel. Like, he's saying, hey, this isn't a big deal. Now, this is a big deal. But Paul's writing, like, this is, this is how serious this stuff is. For no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into what? An angel of light. This is what gets interesting. That's the big leagues there. I mean, he's dealing with the big leagues, but watch this. Therefore, in light of this truth, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as what? Ministers of righteousness. There's your religious Pharisees. They did everything by the book. They even went outside the book to make sure they wouldn't break the rules of the book. They were ministers of righteousness. And there are a dime a dozen today, they have the look, the act, the language, everything, but they are far from God. And the Christian better be, better stand up and take note or they're going to get affected and hurt by this. And we see it all the time. And he says, whose end, by the way, shall be according to the works. You don't want your end to be according to works. Because if it's according to works, there's only one place you're going. The lake of fire. That's the it. It's either Christ or known. It's that simple. It's either his work or your work. And when that says whose end shall be according to their works, it simply means they're going to go straight to hell because of their deception. But it's interesting, like you read in John uh, 8, verse 44, what did Jesus call the religious Pharisees of his day? Oh, vipers, which is a satanic being. He called them hypocrites. What else did he call them? Strongest language you can find in the scripture. Ye are of your father, the devil. Jesus' own words to the religious men of his day. Could you imagine somebody as bold to do that today to some of these religious leaders? Well, they're out there. They're doing it. Some of them, and I'll give them credit, and you're going to see a video about it here in a minute. Praise the Lord for some people standing, taking a stand against this junk out there and deceiving people. I feel bad for a lot of people. I, I mean, this isn't like I'm like, oh, yeah, just they deserve it. I, I, I don't want people. I want people to wake up and realize that they're being duped and seduced and lured and manipulated by these people who are ministers of right. They have the, the talk, the lingo. They smile. They look nice. They dress nice. They have big churches. And they're sending people straight to hell because that's the other end of the battlefield. Ministers of righteousness. Just blows my mind. So Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's writing instructions to a young pastor, Timothy, and he's like, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove and rebuke. Both those words are kind of, they're negative. Like, you know, reprove, rebuke. 
but then exhort is motivate with all long-suffering and doctrine, Scripture, teachings from Jesus. For the time will come, and I believe it has arrived, when they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know what that means? Hey, Marilyn, I got this itch I can't get on my back. If you do me a favor, scratch it, and I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. That's what he's saying, having itching ears. They're, they're ready to tell you exactly what you want to hear as long as you scratch their back or scratch their ears, having itching ears. So the, they don't endure sound doctrine and they turn the truth of God. They shall turn away, there's the apostasy, their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables, psychology. Whatever it may be, it's certainly not truth. Um, so, I've got 10 minutes here. This is The next piece is really important. Take the 60s. I'm going to give you an example of this. In the 60s, we had the hippie movement, free love, you know, and what was birthed, and of course with that was rampant drug abuse. So what happened is a lot of secular psychologists came along and realized that the kind of the birthing or the, the importance of self-worth, self-identity, self this, self that. Everything was self about self, self-worship. And what happened is that became popular in secular psychology. But over here in the Christian world, they saw that they needed to attract people at a faster rate. They were losing people, and they needed to attract people. So what happened is they started to adapt and embrace some of those teachings that came out of the 60s, the, the, the self-worth and self-love and self-identity. And they pulled that stuff in from secular psychologists and they added a little bit of Christianity to it, sprinkled the, the lingo, but it's still about self. And those were the beginning of the seeds of what we're seeing, the fruit today. Full on display. You, can, you can't go to a church today that doesn't put on a concert for you to entertain you and the kiddies. And they want, they want to lure you in with, with this motivation, I get it, to, to want you to hear the Word of God, but when they preach the Word of God, they don't preach this stuff. They preach stuff that's really toned down, so it's about you not to offend you, and not about sin ever. Joel Olstein never talks about sin. The only thing he does at the end of every sermon is he talks about repent and turn. That's all he says is repent and turn, because he knows you've got to throw that in there to get those Christians. He has enough common sense, but never talks about sin and evil and the destruction that it has. And Jesus died for our sins. We got to tell it like it is, or we start to, you know, sweet talk it, and then we, we, we want to make sure we don't offend anybody because it's all about self-image today. Well, the, we're seeing the fruit of this on full display. And... I'm going to give you an example. It's called the Law of Attraction. For those of you who've done your homework and know what this means, this came out of a book called The Secret, and it was embraced by Hollywood at a fast and furious rate, and then mainstream Christianity and your TV evangelists took a hold of that, and they began to preach it like nobody's business. The Law of Attraction is basically this. Whatever you visualize, and whatever words you continue to believe and repeat will come to pass. It's a name it, claim it. It's a health, wealth, and prosperity. If you believe you can 
attain that, you will, but you've got to visualize it. And if you don't, that means something's wrong with your life. It's the health, wealth, and prosperity. And it's swept America and is still to this day. It fills our churches like nobody's business. And basically, you have the power to create your own life and your own destiny by visualizing and speaking words. Nothing could be further from the truth. You can visualize all you want, and, you can, and Satan give you whatever you want, but then he's going to call you to the table and make you pay. Eventually, he's going to make you pay. But in most cases, if you're a Christian trying to do this stuff, God's just going to sit back and laugh. Now, with that said, let's watch this video. It's about five minutes long, and it'll give you some insights. So please, bear with me. But surely the mainstream Christian church would identify the law of attraction as a pagan, unbiblical concept, right? Well, just take a look at what's being taught in popular churches around the country today. I want to talk to you today about how your words become your reality. You are where you are today in part because of what you've been saying about yourself. Words are like seeds. When you speak something out, you give life to what you're saying. If you continue to say it, eventually that can become a reality. Whether you realize it or not, you are prophesying your future. That's not just being positive, you are prophesying victory. The plans you have, thoughts become reality. You are one idea away from what you saw in your dreams, in your prophecies that God spoke over your life. You are one idea away. You are not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. Faith calls things that be not as though they were. And as I said yesterday, that's really difficult to, the, to, to a person's mind until you learn that that's the way faith operates. Faith does not call things the way they are. If you call things the way they are, they stay the way they are. You can't call the cat and hope to get the dog. That's why the battle or the struggle really does occur in the mind. The mind is the battlefield. So the quality of life that I live is determined by the quality of mind that I have. In essence, our life is what our thoughts make us. Therefore, if I can ever change my way of thinking, I can change my way of living. I am valuable. I am beautiful. I am victorious. The message again is this. You have so much power in you that you literally can create reality by speaking it. The internal creative power that resides in you can be released in words. And these words have supernatural energy that literally create the world the way you want the world to be, that literally give you the circumstances and the situations and the relationships and the achievements and the accomplishments and the fulfillments and satisfactions that you want. The thoroughly unbiblical philosophy of the secret is called the law of attraction in the non-Christian world but it has a direct Christian equivalent called word of faith, which is... I'll stop there. So the last part where that guy was teaching was John MacArthur. He was summarizing this for everybody because he had spent 30 minutes 
giving a lot of insight about what they're teaching about speak it, visualize it, it comes to pass. It's a name it, claim it. You know, if you want that car, just think about it long enough, you'll get it, that kind of stuff. And so he's saying you have the power to create. That is as false if any, but yet millions, tens of millions of Christians have bought into this. And they're giving their money to guys like Joel Steen and T.D. Jakes and, and Copeland. And these people are living high on the hog of God's people. Now, I don't know the motives of these people. I don't really care about it. But this is, this is the state of our country and across the world of Christianity. That's what's why people, when you go door to door, that's who they think you are. And that's the farthest thing that we are is that type of thinking. We don't, listen, I'm going to nip this in the bud and then we'll close. Jesus actually nips it in the bud for all of us. This is, this is everything you just heard about. We can do this. We can do that. It came out, like I said, the self revolution. It's all about ourselves. This is what Jesus said. He that loveth his life shall lose it. So if you want to live your life for yourself, you're going to lose it. What he's saying. This is why people struggle with depression and anxiety because they're living for themselves instead of living for Jesus Christ. And and then it says, what does he say? He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. It's the opposite of what is being taught today in in pseudo-Christianity and religious circles. This is the Holy Spirit's approach to positive thinking. I'm all about positive thinking for positive results. I love that idea. But not the way they're loving it. Not the way they're teaching it. They're teaching it to benefit you. It's all about you. This is what is the approach to positive thinking. Brethren, what so things are true? There you go. There's the word. Honest, just, pure, lovely, a good report, virtue. If there be any praise, think on these things. That's how our mind should be on positive things, the things of God all the time. And we'll get we'll have positive results, but it'll be spiritual results that give glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So we got a lot more to study. I'll, I'll hope to get through next week. I'm really working diligently to get through this in one. But next week's going to be another eye-opener of things that are behind the scenes of why some of this deception is actually happening. And uh, be praying about that. In the meantime, may the Lord bless. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this time of study. Though it is heavy, it's uh, intense. We know that we have to take our time to go through it, Lord, because you told us to take heed, watch, and pray. And you've put it in Scripture everywhere. I mean, it's, it's almost in every, every chapter, every book. It's, you've given us enough warning to know we've got to be careful, Lord. Help us as your people to be a discerning people and to be careful of falling asleep spiritually. We'd ask you to bless now as we enter into this hour of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.